Amen and amen. <laughs> Dr. Reverend Dr. Peter, I know you have a great sermon today, <laughs> but if you want to cut it off now, <laughs> that was a wonderful, wonderful event. Thank you all. My goodness. Oh, with that, please join with me as I say our prayer of illumination. Lord of life, by submitting to death, you overcame the grave. And by the power of your resurrection, you restore humanity and renew the world. Open our minds to receive your hope. Open our hearts to celebrate your joy. And on this Memorial Sunday, we remember the men and women who sacrificed so much, defending liberty, freedom, and our right to hear your word and believe. For all praise is yours, now and throughout eternity. Amen. The first reading of scripture today is from the Psalms, and it is Psalm 13, found on page 484 and 485 of the Pew Bibles, if you want to read along. Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The word of the Lord. If you're asking how long, my guess is 18 or 19 minutes. Uh, <laughs> not that you're watching or anything. The New Testament lesson comes from the book of Acts, the first chapter, uh, verses 3 through 14. Uh, so listen now for the word of God to the church. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself alive to them. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come." In the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot. And Judas, son of James, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this weekend, AAA has estimated that nearly 43 million Americans are traveling for Memorial Day getaways. They also estimate that nearly 38 million of them will be traveling by car. By my own count, about 30 million of them are in Charleston County, even as we speak. That's not a scientific survey. It's based on an informal poll that I have been taking on Ben Sawyer Boulevard. But in his planning for the weekend, AAA has also estimated that about 353,000 motorists will require some kind of roadside assistance for dead batteries, flat tires, other mishaps like that. There has been and will be some strain out there on the road. But as inconvenient as a flat tire or a busted radiator might be, those pale in comparison to those moments when, as the family truckster rolls down the holiday road... That whiny question that you have been dreading issues forth from behind you in the back seat. Are we there yet? Now, I know that I do this. Most of us hear that question from the perspective of a parent, a tired driver who knows that the road is long, who knows that we still have a long way to go before we get there. And we hear those words as impatient belly aching activated by unusually short attention spans. But if we try to understand the question from the perspective of those tired and frustrated children in the back seat, if we hear the words with fresh ears and open hearts, we might actually find some empathy for the inquiring voices. Because even adults can get weary on the road. We, too, want to know when we'll get there. I think that's exactly what was happening with these disciples and followers of Jesus who had followed Jesus out to the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. Is it time yet, they ask? Isn't it time yet? Is this the time when you will finally restore the kingdom to Israel? They've been looking forward to this day for a long, long time. Most of them, since childhood, they had been told week after week, year after year, those words of the prophets, the days are surely coming 
The days are surely coming when God will restore the fortunes of Israel. They know Isaiah's promise that a righteous branch would be raised up. And now these men and women had actually seen the one whom they believed was that branch, and they had seen him raised up. Raised up first as a teacher and a leader, then raised up as a hope of Israel, the hope of Israel, and then raised up on a cross, and now raised up from the dead. Surely these are the days that have been coming. They seem to be reaching the glorious end of this long spiritual pilgrimage, and they couldn't wait to get there. With great anticipation, they're essentially asking the question, with hope, are we there yet? And now, once again, they are told to wait. Don't ask the time, Jesus said. It's not for you to know when we will get there. Sounds like something that a parent would say, right? Go back to Jerusalem and wait a while longer, and when the time is right, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When I was about six or seven years old, the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus came to Greensboro It came every year in February, like clockwork, every February, and I had never been before, but this was the year. Mom and Dad said we were going, and I could not wait. Those TV commercials had whipped me into a frenzy. You might even remember there were elephants, there were giraffes, there were tigers, there were trapeze artists, there were motorcycles in big metal balls and up on high wires. How could this be anything other than the greatest day that there had ever been? And when that big day arrived, when it was the day that we were going to the circus, I did what any other kid would do under the circumstances, and that is... I badgered and beleaguered my parents every moment. Is it time yet? Can we leave yet? Can I go and find your keys for you? Right? And then my parents did what any other parent would do under the circumstances. They fought the urge to wrap my face with duct tape. Not that this would have stopped me. It would have slowed me down a little, but only temporarily. But finally, my mom gave me something that I thought I might be able to work with. We are leaving in 30 minutes, my mom said. Do not say another word to me (laughs) about the circus. But a light appeared at the end of the tunnel of my impatience. I can do this, I thought. I can white-knuckle it for 30 minutes. And because it was February, it was late afternoon, it was already getting dark. So I didn't really think going outside was the way to kill the time. So what I decided to do instead was to stay inside and watch the clock. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so I went into my parents' bedroom and I parked myself right beside their little uh, bedside alarm clock. It was one of those little white compact things that everybody had in the 70s. And I can still see the outline of those numbers against that soft pink globe of the backlight in there. That image was seared somewhere into my brain. And I still remember that the clock hands were black and kind of bold, blocky things. But behind those hands was a little gold second hand that measured the seconds. And as I sat there on the edge of my parents' bed, I watched that little gold hand navigate the face of that clock 
30 times. And each time it hit 12, I counted another minute out loud. Now, the funny thing is, I really don't remember that much about that circus. (laughs) But what I remember today is sitting there in front of that clock, waiting for the circus to arrive. One of the great tensions of our faith is that we live in a space between, as some theologians say, the now and the not yet. In some ways, the reign of God is real and present in our spirits and in the world right now. But in many other ways, God's peace, God's righteousness, God's justice are still being challenged and even beset by the powers of this world. We feel like victory is close, but we're not quite there yet. And so we sometimes feel a little like those impatient kids in the back seat. We want to know how long, how long it will be before God's peace claims the world once and for all. We wonder why we aren't there yet after all this time. One way I think the tension between the now and the not yet has been felt in this congregation relates to the many transitions that this congregation has endured over the past two to three years. There were significant setbacks, to be sure, but for a while now this congregation has been on a steady journey back to health, and progress has certainly been made, but the journey has also been tiring in some respects. And every now and then, I sense a feeling that seems to say, how long? How much longer will it be? Aren't we there yet? This passage from Acts, I think, speaks powerfully to people in those are we there yet moments. First, these words of Jesus from Acts assure us that in whatever moment we may be in, we are not alone. If we are confused, God understands. If we are hurt, God understands that too. God knows that the needs are great, but Jesus promises the disciples that support is coming. You will receive power, Jesus says. You will be equipped. You will be energized by the dynamis, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we may have to wait for it with patience. But help is on the way. The second thing this passage does is redirect our attention to the things that we can do while we wait. After the disciples watched Jesus ascend up into heaven, the disciples just stood there looking up. They had to be puzzled by this miraculous thing that they had just seen. Maybe they were waiting for some kind of a sign. And they got one. But it wasn't up in the sky. It was standing right there on the ground, right there next to them. Two mysterious men in white were suddenly just there, as it often happens in the story of the Gospels and the New Testament. Sometimes they just appear. And these two men appear, and they said, what are you doing? Why are you just standing there staring up at the sky? What are you waiting for? And it snaps the disciples back into reality, and they return to Jerusalem, just as Jesus had instructed them to do. And they went to wait. But they did not just sit around doing nothing. 
They stayed together. And what does Scripture say that they did when they were together? It says they constantly devoted themselves to prayer. They concentrated on being together as the church, trusting that God would guide them, trusting that God would show them what they needed to do in due time. If you know people who once were active in this church but haven't been around in a while, people who may have been saddened or injured or angered or discouraged by things that happened, people who may be waiting for some sign, some proof that things are okay before they come back. Perhaps you can remind them that the early church was encouraged not to sit around waiting for some sign to fall from the sky. What they were encouraged to do was to stick together, to keep the faith, to wait with anticipation And as they gathered to pray fervently in the meantime. And that's what the early church did. They stuck together. They showed up. They devoted themselves constantly to prayer and to being together. And my guess is that they realized that the being together part was one of the most important parts of what Christ had ordained for the body of Christ. They realize that sometimes you end up remembering the journey, remembering how you waited more than you remember the thing that you were waiting for or that you thought you were waiting for. And those people were rewarded by God when they received exactly what was promised to them because they kept showing up together. Because they kept praying together and working together and waiting together, they were there when the Holy Spirit did show up. They were the ones who had tongues of fiery inspiration fall upon them at Pentecost. They were the ones who somehow were able to understand others in amazing new ways, to understand languages that they had never known before. They were the ones who were there when the post-resurrection church of Jesus Christ was born. And that promise that began in them, just kept building on itself. It continued to spread as more and more people started showing up and more and more people started devoting themselves to prayer with others. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jesus said, but that was not where it ended. Because then you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. But that wasn't the end either. Then Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. If you can stick it out, Jesus says, if you can keep the faith, if you can commit to one another and stay in prayer and fellowship with one another, then help will come. The Holy Spirit will find you, and when the Holy Spirit does find you, there will be no mountain too high and no road too long and no place too remote. Your witness will catch fire and engulf the world, Jesus says, all because you dared to stick with me and keep showing up in prayer. Woody Allen once famously said that 80% of success is just showing up. 
I actually think that in the kingdom of God, he might have underestimated that number a bit. In the kingdom of God, the greatest blessings are reserved for those who don't sit around waiting for some sign to fall out of the sky. The signs to be found are right here on the ground with the people who keep showing up for one another and loving one another as Christ commands us to do. And no, we are not there yet. We are reminded of that very powerfully in a number of ways, including on this Memorial Day weekend, as we give thanks for those who have paid the ultimate price for freedom so that we might worship in freedom, so that we might live in a world that's just a bit closer to peace. And despite their sacrifices for those things, especially for peace, we still live in a world that is far from peaceful, where danger and violence and ill will still haunt millions of people around the globe. We are not there yet. But still today, Jesus promises that the power and presence of the Holy Spirit will always be with us as we meet the challenges of this life. Still today, Jesus doesn't want us to sit around waiting for some sign before we engage. Still today, Jesus calls us to show up, to commit ourselves to the constancy of prayer and commitment to the body of Christ. And still today, Jesus calls us to be part of that witness that can spread to the very ends of the earth. And that, my friends, is why we are here today. God bless you for showing up, for devoting yourselves to prayer in the name of Jesus Christ.